Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. On today's Tour Catch-Up. Carlos Alcaraz blows away Sasha Zverev in Madrid. On Jabor makes history. And Kevin Anderson retires from tennis with immediate effect. Kim, today is the 9th of May and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Passing Shot HQ. We have now got our Madrid singles champions, Carlos Alcaraz and Onjabor, both making history. A really exciting event, tinged with a little controversy, particularly around the scheduling, which uh, Sasha Zverev particularly wasn't happy about. But uh, before we can kind of get into that, we've also got to talk about Rome because it's back-to-back Masters time on the uh, the ATP and WTA tours. So it's real fast-paced at the moment. Clay, clay, clay. There's not really been much to talk about in terms of the, the off-court stuff. There was last week, but this week, yes, Kevin Anderson uh, announced his retirement. Gilles Simon also has announced his retirement. But for this podcast, we are firmly going to be talking about the action, aren't we? Well, I mean, Gilles Simon is really the lead story. I mean, Joel, <laughs> you're a big fan of Simon. Are you got it? Are you heartbroken? I'm specifically a fan of his his double double handed backhand. I know. I mean, everyone is really sad. All the the old guard French players are, are retiring this season. I mean, he's just following following on from Songa, and uh, yeah, if you add in Kevin Anderson to the mix as well, yeah, it's been a bit sad, isn't hasn't it? And and for Anderson, you know, immediate effect. How how am I gonna how am I gonna fill the the Kevin Anderson shaped void on the ATP tour? Well, maybe with a Lloyd Harris shaped void. <laughs> uh, well, not not a void, but I don't know. You you like a bit of Lloyd Harris, so yeah, true. A, a new South African hope for you. But um, yeah, it is uh, a shame almost that Rome immediately follows Madrid. I feel mm. like there should be a week in between because. You know, we, we've seen Alcaraz, you know, win Madrid. He's pulled out of Rome to, to rest, which I think is a sensible decision. But, you know, if there was a week in between, we might have had uh, him him be able to play Rome as well. But Kim, it already, Rome has already given us the, the photos we've all wanted to see for a long, long time. Diego Schwartzman and John Isner playing doubles together. What a what a great sight that is. I know, yes, I know Rafa's back, Novak's there. But seeing the little and large duo of Isner and Schwartzman playing together, that's a sight to behold for any spectator. It had to be done, didn't it? I think uh, <laughs> the I, memes. I'm glad it had we... to be done for the memes. <laughs> we can tick it off the ultimate tennis list. Uh, <laughs> things we'd love to see on tour. Mm. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm glad they managed to, to get together. And they won, I think, didn't they, in their first match? So All, all that is next to be completed is obviously... John Isner and Riley Opelka playing doubles together against Diego Schwartzman and Sebastian Baez. Well, I, surely Isner and Opelka would uh, <laughs> would win that one. I mean, we, we, that that's going to be a very uh, 
Well, I don't think I want to watch that match, actually. <laughs> Make them swap partners. Yes. No. But... I want Argent- Argentina-USA <laughs> Davis Cup. Make that oh. happen. Make that doubles match happen, please. We'll see. We'll see. Um, but let's get on to the action from Madrid because we had a very uh, one-sided final, to be honest, between Carlos Alcaraz and Sasha Zverev yesterday. It was 6-3, 6-1, basically an hour on court. Um I mean, the whole crowd was obviously behind Carlos Alcaraz. They are loving him. He is lighting up the country of Spain. You know, they've new hope for Spanish tennis, new hope for for tennis in general. Everyone raving about him and and rightly so. He has been a joy to watch in the last week, hasn't he? He's uh, beaten Rafa. He's beaten Novak. uh, And not many players have done that in the same tournament, let alone on clay, let alone at 19 years of age. So, I mean, absolutely fantastic week from Carlos Alcaraz. He's uh, got his fourth title of the year, his second Masters of the year. I think this makes it two titles on the trot with Barcelona and Madrid. And uh, I mean, he's resting up for Rome, but gosh, coming into Roland Garros, is is he not the favourite, but he's got to be the top. Is, is he the top in the top three favourites with Rafa and Novak? Is he, do we put him right up there? I mean, it is, it is interesting. And before we get on to it, Kim, I had noticed Andy Roddick is one of those players who has done the double over uh, Rafa and Djokovic in the same tournament. He was all too eager I feel on social media to uh to chirp up and let people know that but um yeah a very a very difficult and formidable um you know draw and path he had to the the final and you know to get there beating Zverev you know he would have been in full of confidence and there was no sign of nerves I feel you know when we saw him earlier on in the season uh in his first Masters uh Masters of final against Kasper Ruud he had a little bit of a, a shaky start but that really wasn't the case here. And, uh, you know, talking about French Open, yes, I think having Rome off is a, is a smart move. The clay in Madrid is obviously quite different to, to Roland Garros. You know, we are at altitude here. It does play a little differently. And I feel like, you know, a lot of fans, including myself, feel like Rome is a much truer kind of barometer of, of where people are at in relation to that Parisian clay. So I'm maybe not putting him with, Rafa and Novak just yet but he's certainly kind of not too far behind and in that and in that final he showed he showed why against you know against Zverev um it was you know from the you know from the first point really it was just uh an absolute clinic he did not face a break point in the whole match he was really eating into to Zverev's serve and uh you know when they were trading from the the baseline it was just so great I think to see Zverev Sorry, to see Alcaraz just whip out that forehand drop shot. It was very well disguised and it just worked so well for him. And we've spoken in the past about how Zverev, he is just not comfortable, I I feel, at the net compared to compared to the back of the court. And there were some ugly, ugly shots at the net. He did a few smashes that went into the net. And it was a real good tactic, I think, from Alcaraz to kind of lure Zverev in because once he was there, you felt like Alcaraz was able to, you know, make the move, whether that was a lob, passing shot down the line, cross court, whatever it was. Yeah, he just knew what he was doing. And it was a very impressive performance, not just kind of technically, but also I think tactically as well in terms of getting to kind of Zverev's game, who did well to get to the final because... I still, Kim, don't really feel like Zverev 
he got to the final without playing any sort of 10 out of 10 tennis. Whereas I feel like Carlos Alcaraz had to play at kind of 10 out of 10, even 11 out of 10, I felt at times, uh, particularly in that Novak Djokovic match, just to get to the final. Yeah, uh, Zverev is one of those players that seems to creep his way into finals, mm. uh, often with with without playing his his best tennis, which is a shame because, you know, we, we don't like to see people uh, like win ugly, which is, but you know, that's the fact of the matter is that you often have to do that. But, you know, we all want to kind of show up and be entertained. But yeah, they were definitely coming in with, with different, um, I guess, levels of performance that they'd had to reach and had shown prior to the, the final. I mean, one of the big factors, though, uh, that Zverev did make, you know, um, make light of in his 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 interview was uh the fact that he had two very late nights going into the final um you know his semi-final against Sitsipas had been scheduled after the women's final um so in the evening the night before he said he didn't go to bed until around like 4 a.m because by the time he'd finished his match I think probably around 1 a.m he then obviously had to do all of his post-match stuff so by the time you actually get to sleep it's very very late and I think he had that um, in a previous match as well so you know you're having a couple of very very late nights that's going to completely ruin your your body clock um I completely sympathize with him on this one I think the two men's semi-finals should have been played closer together in time um you know they they sort of split them up with the women's final which didn't really help the women because no. the first semi-final overran so the it women were no waiting around favors. exactly and then it, it doesn't do the second semi-final winner any favors because they're playing so much later and having so much less rest so they certainly mess the scheduling up I think there's the it's very unlikely that anyone's going to disagree with that um I don't think Zverev was trying to make an excuse because he was very complimentary to Alcaraz saying that he thinks he's playing the best in the world right now he would still have you know been absolutely amazing and and, and probably would have won you know but at least Zverev would have felt that he had a bit more to bring to the table um because yeah, like we saw those those two smashes, he completely messed up, and a part of that may very well, yeah, because he's just sort of knackered really from from the previous matches and the late nights. I think the scheduling, yeah, didn't help. Um, I think actually he went back out on court um, in the you know graveyard hours just to get some some practicing after his semi final, and uh, yeah, it really, I think you could tell he was you know missing a step and. Um, I think, you know, no one, I don't think any paying customer really wants to see a Masters final end in, in just over an hour. I think it was one of the shortest, if not the shortest Madrid final in, in history. And uh, yeah, I don't think the scheduling helped. Having said that, the way that Alcaraz was playing, even if Zverev was at the top of his game, I'm I'm still sceptical in terms of whether, you know, he would have come out in a, in a victory against Alcaraz. I certainly felt that it could have been three sets. It could have been tighter than than it obviously was. I just wasn't expecting it to be so, um, you know, so straightforward. And I think, you know, next year, the, the Madrid Masters will be a two-week event. And I think that will help everyone in the sense that, you know, we're not starting... It's not like a staggered start with the women starting before the men and then there's this sort of weird overlap kind of going on. But at the same time, I, I agree. I think we shouldn't really be having these sort of split sessions, particularly for the men's semifinals. Particularly, I feel like we know with Madrid how late their match has been uh, go. It's been going on for years. It's not like the, the first time scheduling has been a, a real talking point um, you know, for the tournament. But for me, this is almost kind of the last draw because it, it did ruin the spectacle of the final. And I think 
you know, what's interesting is that you've got your Spanish crowd there and they are all there, you know, for Alcaraz, historic occasion. You know, they've seen him beat Rafa. They've seen him beat Novak. They want to see him win, you know, the Madrid title. But if I, you know, if I'm a Spanish fan and seeing that final, I, I still, yes, I, you know, yes, I, I'm pleased for Alcaraz and I'm, I'm happy with that result and I'll probably go home happy but there's still probably going to be a part of me that feels a bit kind of like short-changed in terms of the 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 event I got and and arguably maybe as a Spanish fan I wouldn't have necessarily liked to have seen it kind of done in that way because it was just clear I think that each player was you know on, on one side you had a player who was you know absolutely ready to go scheduling arguably had helped him whereas for Zverev it was a complete opposite yeah you want uh, even as a neutral or even as a fan of you know one particular player you you want to see a good final you're paying money and you know to mm. to be there and you know you don't really want to see someone kind of turning up with like two out of ten on the energy scale because of various reasons so yeah it's in the tournament's best interest to make it fair for both mm. players I did enjoy there was a I saw a, I saw a fan in the crowd uh, during the tournament who had a who had shamelessly got a Spanish flag and it said Vamos Rafa and then they had crossed out oh, Rafa no. <laughs> and put Alcaraz, which I I just really enjoyed that shameless bandwagon yeah. jumping. And uh, where do you kind of stand on that? Because obviously Alcaraz has come in. He obviously came through Ra- Rafa in that kind of topsy-turvy match. I mean, as a Rafa fan, are you, are you worried about that? Uh, are you thinking... Can you can you be both a Rafa and a and an Alcaraz fan, or is it, or do you think it's an an either or situation? Uh, no, I mean for me, I like Alcaraz. I want him to do well. I I, I don't want him to beat Rafa. You know, he mm. did, and I I thought, okay, fair enough. <laughs> but he deserves the victory. Um, but yeah, obviously Rafa's my main man, and I'll always support him over anyone else. But I I like Alcaraz, and if he's the future of men's tennis, then I'm I'm mm. down for that. I I'd yeah. rather it was him than some other people on the tour let me just say that you know (laughs) he seems like a lovely bloke and you know very happy chap and obviously I'm quite partial to a bit of Spanish tennis so (laughs) I'm um I'm all for I'm all for Alcaraz um and I mean what we've seen from him in the last week is just you know I mean that Djokovic match as well you know not Mm. only have you just beaten one of your idols in in Rafa you know Spain's king of all sport really um you know at home and then you go and back it up against the world number one and you know such a close tight match of Djokovic there and I know people are saying that both Rafa and Novak you know they're not at their best you know they're both coming back after time out of the game and you know we've seen Djokovic struggle to get quickly up to his usual speed if you like but um you know you can't take away from Alcaraz what he was able to do um and this will give him a a world of confidence as well we just now need to see it at a grand slam don't we we need to see it over those five sets and I mean he's 19 he's got energy and youth on his side so why why wouldn't he be able to do it over five yeah I, I agree I don't feel like the transition from best of three to best of five will will make a distance will sorry will make a difference i think we've seen the consistency that you need um that that suggests that yeah he can apply himself um just just talking about rafa it was interesting to hear him talk about in in, in interview i think um in in italy in rome you know talking about you know coming back from his rib injury even though it was kind of a li- you know relatively short compared to you know what you know, roger federer is obviously going through at the moment um, and, uh, you know, some other players in terms of, you know, their kind of 
road back from from injury but he still said that he didn't come back kind of full of confidence in terms of um you know given you know given the start he had to the season he still felt that he was sort of starting from you know ground zero he was going to have to make it all the way back up and I think again it still shows how much of a challenge it is just to have that reset and just kind of go back and especially with someone like Rafa when you've got all this pressure and expectation on you you know you just see him in a draw and you just assume He's going to get to the final, um, but you know. But at the same time, I don't think I don't think this is too much kind of cause for concern in the sense of yes, Alcaraz is certainly putting his name in the hat for being a French Open contender. But I'm still a bit kind of wary that you know the conditions of Madrid, the fact that this was Rafa's first tournament post injury. You know, I think there are contributing factors that mean that we didn't really see him at his absolute best um i think that you know i think we saw that by the way he came through kind of david goffan which also by the way was a really entertaining match with with rafa coming through in a, in a final set tie break but i i still think with with alcaraz yeah maybe he's a little step behind but at the same time i still think he's a bit further ahead than say medvedev zverev sissipas and I mean, Kim, where do, where do you stand on that? Because some people are already already talking about this guy as kind of, well, he's going to shut the door on these on these next gen players, uh, you know, for the the time being. Now, do do we think? Do you think we're we're there yet, or do you still think he's, you know, do you still think you know, Sissipas, Medvedev, etc. Do you still think they're kind of like, yeah, he's good, but you know, on my day, I'm I'm pretty confident I can beat him. Yeah, I'm, this is one thing I'm really intrigued to see because I when I was watching that the final yesterday I, I did think oh you know Alcaraz is is going to be the next it was one, so dominant he? wasn't it yeah and I just thought you know the sits passes Verevs I mean I don't know if Dominic team is in this cohort anymore he's struggling mm. obviously coming back the Medvedev's like are they gonna maybe just get like the odd slam here or there but Alcaraz is going to be the next one to really dominate and like who I just I feel with mm. Alcaraz I have a, a confidence and a certainty which I don't have about the others. I don't know. There's just something about Alcaraz that is, is even different. at his age. Yeah, <laughs> I know. And maybe we're like jumping the gun. I know he's it 19. Has been known. It has been known. I know, but he's just. I don't know. I feel sure. I feel so much more sure about Alcaraz uh, than the mm. others. So maybe like you have to. Sometimes you come in at, at the right time, right place, and he's that few years younger, isn't he, than the others yep. who have been around for you know, let's face it, quite a, a while now. And um, I don't think they burst on this quickly and, and this fast and grew so so quickly so soon. So, yeah, I, I would go with Alcaraz. I, I think if you, at the end of the day, at the end of their careers, who's going to end up with potentially the most slams? I think Alcaraz out of anyone else uh, in that cohort, to be quite honest. It's interesting because Zverev, I, I still feel like when I see Zverev on on a, on a tennis court, you know, in this final as well, his it's body language for me, mm. you know, is is all wrong. Um, you know, he, he's he looks worried. He's looking at his box. It feels like he's always kind of fishing for answers. And uh, you know, when you've got someone like Alcaraz on the you know the opposite side of the net, who's positive, he's um, you know full of energy. He's running around and. Um, it's complete kind of contrast and there are I feel like because we, we've seen obviously players like Zverev, Sissipas, Medvedev on the tour you know obviously a bit longer than, than Alcaraz I feel like we know what their kind of chinks in their their armour are and again for Zverev it was I feel like all too clear to see and when his service 
games and when his serve is not fully at its best then it I feel like just unravels too quickly for him there's no sort of other kind of plan b he can he can rely on and yeah his plan a is is very good and can take him to you know a grand a grand slam final when it's really really working but when it's not working um such as it did in that match against uh Alcaraz in the final you know his opponent really kind of took a hold of really kind of took a hold of it and I think what the scary thing was when they were kind of just trading from the the baseline again that's the kind of you know regulation stock shots for for Zverev but at the same time it just felt that Alcaraz was was hitting it back heavier seeing hit it back with more pace and he had a bit more variety as I said I loved the way he used that that forehand drop shot um, to just kind of keep Zverev on his toes and um, it really kind of didn't um, you know really kind of didn't work Uh, really I don't think he really liked it in in terms of that movement and um, you know that that lack of certainty that he had so um, yeah it wasn't a matchup I felt that was going to go in in Zverev's favour the scheduling didn't help but uh, yeah it's it's getting to a point I feel with with this sort of matchup whereas you know, he's going to be facing Alcaraz a lot in the future. And it's not just kind of thinking about how do I, how do I win a tournament? It, you know, arguably it's getting to a point now where it could be, how do I, in order to win a tournament, how do I defeat Carlos Alcaraz? And actually thinking about it in terms of not just that sort of tournament mindset, but also that player mindset as well. Yeah. And I think it will be interesting as well to see how Alcaraz deals with all this pressure. You know, Mm. even going into the French Open, he will know there is so much expectation on him um because of what he's been doing recently well it's especially not playing Rome as well I mean I, I feel again there's, I feel there's even more pressure now because he's he's saying you know I'm, I'm taking what two two weeks off that's a you know arguably that's a that's a big call I know you were saying that's the you think that's the smart decision but you know he at the same time you know he's he's he's, he's a young guy he's got a lot of energy in him should he should he have maybe carried on the momentum Oh, I don't know. I think he's got to listen to his body. And mm. I think, you know, there was that incident where he, he rolled over on his ankle, I think, in the match with mm. Rafa. And, you know, I know he's young and he seemed to be like unhampered uh, in his subsequent matches. But I think, you know, most, most mentally, like it's a lot, all the attention. I think it's, um, you know, he'll have plenty more Rome opens to play. I think, you know, he's serious about going deep at Roland Garros and this is what he needs to do to get there. So I think it's a good move from, from team Alcaraz and, and Juan Carlos Ferrero. And uh, well, we uh, predictions for Roland Garros be quite interesting, won't it? And the draw, which, which bits of the oh, draw will Alcaraz land in? <laughs> it's going to be an absolute nightmare for whoever's in the, those top four seeds. Cause it doesn't look like Alcaraz will be in those top four seeds. So, it's yeah is going to be land in someone's draw that one of those players is not going to be you know not going to be happy about but um yeah we will we will have to you know we will have to wait and see but uh yeah the fact that he came through Djokovic Nadal Cam Norrie as well by the way uh in uh in three sets so uh, you know just to get to the final he did have a very 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 tough path Kim I always think back to you know David Nalbandian I think came through Nadal, Federer and Djokovic all in one tournament to win. And for me, that was one of, if not the greatest sort of <laughs> path to final and winning that, you know, in, in recent memory. But certainly, I think any sort of title win when you can say in the build-up, you defeated Novak Djokovic, you defeated Rafael Nadal, 
instantly makes it more special. And the fact you've done that as a 19-year-old on a clay court in your hometown probably makes it even extra, extra, extra special. Exactly. And uh, you mentioned Cam Norrie. He did have a, a good performance against against Alcaraz. And I'm sure looking at what Alcaraz then went on to do, he'll be quite quite pleased overall. And we had uh, Jack Draper had a, had a good show as well. Very narrowly lost to, to Rublev. To Rublev, so, I know. And uh, Rublev also knocking out Dan Evans. So conquering the Brits. But we did have a British winner in Madrid because Neil Skupski won uh, the doubles with Wes Kulhoff. So they got their first Masters title, uh, winning against Cabal and Farah uh, on a champions, well, yeah, champions tiebreak, 10-5. So they've got their fourth title of the year mm. uh, together after teaming up and their first Masters. So yeah, fantastic work for both of them. Uh, but let's let's look at the women's side of things, Joel, because as we alluded to earlier, um, we do have history being made uh, on the women's side as well, with Onjabor becoming the first Arab woman to win um, a Masters level title, a thousand level title, I should say, uh, on the WTA side of things. She beat Jessica Pegula in three sets on Saturday. A uh, bit of a weird scoreline, to be fair. I think any match that contains uh, a bagel to the person who didn't win is always a bit strange. 7-5, love 6-6-2. But yeah, Onshibor <laughs> coming through uh, just under two hours to, to beat Jessica Pagula. So that's her second career title. Um, what did you make of what did you make of this one? Because I know we've seen from Onshibor in the past that she when she's lost the first set in finals, she's generally not gone on to come back and, and win. So I think she'll be really pleased that she was able to to come through this one in the end yeah she has not got a great record uh in, in wta finals i think going into this match uh, against pegula she uh was 1-1 lost four uh in wta singles finals and i feel like she's had opportunities in those finals that she's lost but for some reason she's had that i think that mental block in the past that even though she's played great tennis in in the build up once it gets to the the big occasion and you know maybe she's thinking about oh there's a there's a title in the offing here for some reason it just freezes her play and um i think you know this match against pegula was extra challenging i think in the sense that she probably would have gone into that match as the favorite i mean she beat simona hallett um in the quarterfinals, a player we thought was going to go all the way through to the final, who was playing great tennis. But, you know, Jabour dispatched of Halep very easily, then dispatched Alexandrova in the semi-finals as well. And, you know, Jessica Begula is a, a very good, consistent player. But you just felt that, you know, with Jabour, a bit flashier, a bit more kind of, uh, got a little bit more variety, you felt. Obviously, her, her drop shot, I feel... Um, she's making a name for herself with with that shot specifically, but with that variety, you felt she went into that match as the as the favourite, and I was just wondering if that expectation, that pressure, was again going to have sort of a similar impact to what we've seen, um, you know, in, in previous matches. And yeah, she did have she did have that wobble in in the second set, a big wobble. The weird thing also about it, Kim, is that she lost another set six love um earlier on in the tournament so it's a bit of a weird habit i feel like to be making but um yeah it was i think just looking at her and how she played across the whole tournament i think she was the one who played the best tennis i think we were all a little bit surprised that we did get a final uh between 
Pegula and Jabor. To be honest, I think we were all a little bit surprised. We got a semi-final with Jill Teitman versus Jessica Pegula and Alexandra versus uh, Jabor. But um, yeah, it was a, a very, a very nice win. And as, as you said, made, made history, you know, first Arab woman to do that at this level. So yeah, really, really impressive stuff. Yeah, I'm really pleasing that she can kind of mentally regroup after those like bagel middle sets mm. because I can't mean, be easy. I, no, if I was on court, I'd be completely going to pieces thinking <laughs> I am just falling apart. What so, is going on here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, really, really impressive. Um, almost, you know, more impressive than if you just maybe narrowly lost that middle set. But um, and also for, for Jessica Pagula, you know, she's making a real... I think name for herself of being very consistent at this level. I think in the last 11,000 uh, level events, she has made the round of 16 or better. Mm. Um, and she made, made the semifinals in Miami as well. So um, really kind of one of those players, it's always there or thereabouts, you know, has some big wins here or there. She'll be looking to obviously go to the, the next step up and win these titles and kind of, you know, jump up further because she's still kind of in that vein of, you know, probably a bit the bridesmaid and not the bride but uh, I hate that expression by the way but I just couldn't think of anything else to say just then but yeah really nice to see Pagula on clay as well um growing into kind of her you know level of comfort on this surface uh whereas we naturally think of her maybe as more of a hard quarter yeah exactly I think we've we've seen her do really well uh you know at the grand slams on on a hard court and uh yeah, it was interesting to hear her talk about how she felt she was moving better on the clay courts um, than in kind of previous seasons. And, um, you know, I think that's a big strength of her game is that movement around the court. And uh, I just think her general kind of fight as well. I think she's a real tenacious kind of character on the court. She had a very good win earlier on in the tournament. She was very close to going out. She had to save match point um, against Camilla Georgie. And then that win against Cyrus Cerebes Tormo, who came through, um, admittedly a little bit of an injured Naomi Osaka, but coming through SST in straight sets as well. Again, it just shows, I think, that she has added this court surface to her game. And yeah, it might not have been something we would have associated with her, um, you know, a few seasons ago, but her consistency and her application to all of these kind of all the different court surfaces now, I think really kind of bodes well for her for being a, you know, a competitive, a competitive, consistent player across you know, across the whole season. And um, yeah, I think she, I think she did make the most of, of the draw she was given as well. Um, you know, I think a lot of the seeds didn't just did not perform as, as much as we were expecting. You know, we spoke about in the previous pod, Zachary going out in the you know second round. Uh, there was obviously no Sviontek there. Muguruza not doing well, all these sorts of things, particularly in that top path. And yeah, she, she came through and made the most of it. Yeah, and um, Alexandra in the bottom half coming through in that section that had Sabalenka, mm. uh, Azarenka and Pliskova in. So they all fell by the wayside. You know, Sabalenka was out straight away to Anisimova. Um, so, yeah, I mean, fair play to Alexandra. I do think this does make the case, though, that Madrid is a bit of an anomaly on the mm-hmm. on the clay tour in terms of the the conditions and the yeah the way it plays um if you particularly look at as i say that the madrid women's draw and see the players who got to the semi-finals i am very curious to see how these players do in rome where i feel like the conditions are very are, are much more similar to the, the clay in paris and uh i think is a, a truer indication of of potentially how they will get on at the French Open, but you got to make you know you got to turn up, you got to make the most of the the conditions out there, and uh, yeah, certainly for um, 
yeah, certainly for Pergula and Jabor, you know, they they made the most of the conditions where whereas there, you know, the other seat, the other players, the other top seeds um, didn't. Well, the other players will just be like, well, you know, I'll be fine for Roland Garros because <laughs> Madrid is not a reliable predictor. So just ignore everyone's results. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I sort of was laughing when Jabor beat Halep because I think in our last podcast we were like, oh, um, yeah, Simona Halep's like on for this title. She's working with Maura Tuglu, mm. she's rejuvenated. And then, you know, she kind of meekly loses to on Jabor, which, you know, is testament to how well Jabor has, you know, has been playing. But I was a bit disappointed that that wasn't a closer match. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I thought Halep would have had a bit more in her to to challenge. But, you know, perhaps when we get to Rome, well, we're, we're at Rome now. We're Rome is underway. I mean, she's already we'll, beaten we'll Elise Cornet. So, yeah. So, know. I mean, and Cornet is, is always a bit of a, uh, a, a scuppery player that can, yeah, cause a bit had of a, has a, had a 4 1 winning head to head against Halep. I think she beat, she beat Halep at the Australian Open, I believe. Um, she has previously. Uh, not was it this was it year? It might have been this year, wasn't it? Or, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah it was this yeah. year because Cornet. I'm was backing myself. I retiring. believe. I believe that is right <laughs> in my encyclopedic uh, knowledge of of tennis. But uh, yeah, that was a good win for Halep. Yeah, a little bit disappointing though. I think given you know the way she started in Madrid. Yeah, it was a little bit disappointing. She wasn't able to kind of carry it through. And what do you think about Jabor and Roland Garros? I mean, do you think at a slam level, she, you know, we've seen her at quarterfinals before, mm. but do you think that now this might be the best opportunity for her to, to go even deeper? Kim, I still believe everyone, if your name isn't Iga Svantec in the draw, I feel like you're playing to lose to, to Iga Svantec <laughs> at the moment. But I certainly think that on Jabor could be, <laughs> could be top of that list, given, yeah, the form of the, the other top players who are not, as I say, not really performing. It feels like an open opportunity at the moment. And I think Jabor, you know, we saw her, I remember her at Wimbledon last year. I think she actually revels and thrives, you know, in those sorts of environments, in those big, those big match environments. I know she's not got the greatest record in, in finals, but I certainly feel like when she comes up against tough opposition, she loves to kind of go out and, and leave it all out there. So, you know, you know, why not? As, as, but as I said, I still think <laughs> I still think you're playing. You know, the opportunity is to be second fiddle at the moment. I feel to to Iga Sviontek. Yeah, I I feel like although we haven't seen Sviontek, you know, mm. in Madrid, she didn't play. She she's back in Rome, and I mean this this next week will be interesting. But if she's continuing the form that she has previously been, then absolutely, I think Sviontek's still still your woman. Um, but we did have actually quite pleasingly in uh, Madrid, Joel, we had uh, Gabby Dabrowski you know, former guest of yeah, the passing yeah. shot. She won the doubles with Juliana Olmos, their first uh, team doubles title, beating Grozik and Schurz, uh in a in a Champions tiebreak. So um, nice to see Gabby doing well on the Madrid clay. Um, and from a British note as well, Emma Raducanu managed to get two wins under her belt. So we won't uh, go on about Emma, but um, it was nice to see her kind of getting, um, going, you know, a bit deeper. And uh, she did lose to Kalanina uh, in the fourth round but yeah. um we'll have to see. i will still say so kim she could have won that match and she, she still could. yeah it was still a bit frustrating <laughs> yeah she had still had i feel like this season well since the us open really she's had some very tight losses and arguably losses you felt could have been victories and I, again that it, those are kind of moments i think that having a coach is probably where you can learn the most you know lo- learn the most from in terms of that knowledge and that experience and that game management particularly at the 
the tight ends of of sets or in you know deciding sets and you know looking at some of the results that is a big i think you know thing i think radicani should be working on because uh, you know that kalanina result as i said it could have very easily gone i think the you know the other way that that third set so a little bit disappointing but as you said at the same time she moves i think very well i think she's naturally moves very well on on a clay court and i think you know just having that movement not having to kind of learn it you know like for example i think someone like a a naomi osaka is i think it just helps you kind of transition more you know more easily and uh, i think that should set her up well for you know for rome and the french open yeah definitely like let's take a uh, quick break now uh, but do join us in the second half where we'll be having a look at Kevin Anderson's retirement uh, plus all of the action and draws from the Italian Open in Rome so do not go anywhere Welcome back to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to, I think, a par for the courts this week, Joel. <laughs> I think we've uh, got got you testing me yet again, um, yep. Yep. which I'm uh, obviously intrigued by. I think you've had a few up your sleeve this week, but you've selected this one in particular. Yes, I had I had another one. I've got to, I'm going to save that, though, for a rainy day. I was just kind of scrolling as you know, many t- fans no doubt do on Twitter um, in the evening before bedtime. And I came across this graphic uh, from, I think it was from the Tennis Channel. And I was like, that is perfect par for the courts fodder. And what I find interesting about this graphic, and I have shared it with a, f- a few friends to test their knowledge and to also gauge a benchmark for, for what par for the courts I should set. Um, but I potentially, Kim, think this could be a 100- hundred you could get a hundred percent from this part of the courts. Oh, okay. I don't think I've ever, I've ever had that before. I know you've not <laughs> been close. Let's be, I mean, you've not really been close. Let's be fair. But I think, I think this is, if there's one time to do it, Kim, I think it could be this one. Okay. I hope the listeners are as confident uh, as, <laughs> as you. So what is it, Joel? Tell us. Okay. So my path for the courts topic for you is since 2011 there have been 11 female players who have won one singles grand slam title and i would like you to tell me how many of those 11 you think you can name so 11 ladies players who have won just one singles grand slam title so not two not three not four not whatever just one sole grand slam title and that's since 2011 okay and i'm gonna set the par here quite high because i think this is quite doable so i am gonna set par score at eight out of 11 okay that's not a hundred percent, Joel. But not a hundred percent. Not a hundred percent. But okay. I'm, I'm sort of confident. I'm, I'm putting it. My I'm putting par there, but certainly I think this is this is a hundred percent gettable. Okay, right. I think I think I could exceed eight actually, but I um right. So 2011 onwards. So, so from the start of 2011, I assume. Yeah. Yes. I mean, you don't have. You can. You can be. You can give me the easy ones first if you want to start. Okay. You know, more recently. But um... oh, I think I will. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, right, let's begin. So, number one 
Emma Raducanu. <laughs> Correct. Yes, Emma Raducanu is on the list. Number two, Barbora Krachikova. Correct. Yes, Krachikova also on the list. Uh, number three. Um, oh, who should I say next? Uh, Caroline Wozniacki. Correct. Yes, Caroline Wozniacki from Denmark. Yes, is on the list. So that's three. Number four, um, Sloane Stevens. Correct. Yes, US Open champion. So halfway there, Kim, to achieving par for the courts. Uh, uh, Sam Stozer, not going to forget that one. <laughs> 2011 US Open, right? <laughs> Very good. Correct. Yes. Sam Stozer. Sammy Stozer is on there. Um, Yep. One singles grandstand title. A few doubles, a few mixed doubles. But yeah, Sam Stozer, that's five. Um, And then Flavia Panetta won the US Open. I I don't know what year, but it was after 2011, wasn't it? And then she retired. Correct. Yes. Flavia Panetta is on there. One of the, I'd say one of the trickier ones, but uh, yeah, she, uh, you know, as we all remember, yeah, she won, I think, US Open uh, back in, I think it was in 2011, but yeah, she's on the list. So that's six. I think Stoza was 2011, but Panetta might have been 2012. I don't know. Um, so, so um, Iga Sviontek, still only one slam at the moment. <laughs> Correct. Yes, Iga Sviontek is on the list. So that's seven. So Kim, you need one more to achieve yeah. par for the courts this week. Very uh, tense. Very tense times at Passing Shot HQ. It's all right. I've got someone in my mind. So uh, Yelena Ostapenko. Yelena Ostapenko. Yeah. Correct. Yes, Yelena Ostapenko is right. French Open champion. So Kim, you have achieved half of the courts for this week but i know there's some more and i'm i'm really racking my brains right now mm. because i'm sure there's some more there are French three open. there are three more and i'm not going to give you the nationalities like i have done last time because i think you would get them if i told you the nationalities hmm. um so i yeah, see there's other players guesses? you've got your kerbers and your mugarithas but they're multiple slam winners so oh, oh um Oh, no, it's not. Oh, oh, no. I was thinking of other Czech players. <laughs> oh, it's actually quite hard now. Ah. Um, oh, dearie me. Not Lenox. She won two. I mean, what? Sharapova. One of them. One of them played in Madrid. Oh, uh, <laughs> how can one I of scroll them, up? <laughs> one, of them, one of them doesn't play tennis anymore. Okay. Oh, oh, uh, Bianca Andreescu. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yes, Bianca Andreescu is... Uh, Thank you for yeah, that. Yeah. Um, and the final two. One of them doesn't two. play tennis anymore. One of them so doesn't play tennis anymore. Obviously retired. Well, Wozniacki doesn't. Um, and the other one, it would be too harsh to say doesn't play tennis anymore, but the, the apple has fallen from the tree a little bit with, with this player. Oh, I'm a bit curious now. <laughs> uh, do you know what slam was it out of interest? Which tournament? Um, French Open mm. for the one who doesn't play tennis. Oh, oh yeah, I know. I think it's not Skiavoni. Was that after 2011 she won? 
It's not Schiavone. Oh. It's not oh. Schiavone. Yeah, I thought that was going to trip you up during, but um, yeah. not Schiavone. It's been earlier. It was Marion Bartley. Oh. Marion oh, yeah. Bartley uh, was the French oh, lady I was looking for, and the and the other player, Kim, who yeah. uh, maybe I have unfairly and perhaps cruelly said the apple has fallen from the tree. I feel like he can get back to the tree, but it, I don't know where we're at at the moment. Sophia Kenin. Oh yes. Oh, that's so bad. Sophia Kenin was your 11th and final one. So Sam Stowe's uh, Marion Bartley, Flavia Panetta, Yelena Ostapenko, Sloane Stevens, Caroline Wozniacki, Bianca Andreescu, Sofia Kenin, Iga Sviantek, Barbara Krachikova and Emma Raducanu are your 11 at the moment one slam hit wonders. Gosh, Kenin, I completely forgot about her. That I have to say. That I mean, who just... hasn't? I mean, that's, that's, that was a bit harsh, actually. But... I feel sorry for, for her. I, I mean, she's obviously, it's just the way things go sometimes. But yeah, blimey, what, what, um, how could I forget her? Anyway, right. Hope you did, hope you did well, uh, listeners. I hope you, uh, did as, as well, or if not better than I did. And yeah, Joel, that was a, a good one. Got me thinking. Thank you. And it's nice to know that I got more than I usually do. So, <laughs> um, we do have a question for the mailbag this week, which harks back a bit to Carlos Alcaraz from the first half of the show. Uh, this is from Peanut Five. Um, who I believe is a Rafa fan. Um, And Peanut has asked us, uh, what do we think about Alcaraz copying all of Rafa's ticks? So things like the bottles, the jumps, the run to the back of the court, and finally biting the trophy. Oh, potential controversy here. um, Copyright (laughs) copyright infringement. If I'm one of Nadal's lawyers, then I'm all over it and... And uh, I'll be suing Carlos Alcaraz for it. No, I'm not. I'm absolutely <laughs> I'm joking. Um, Iga Sviantek, on the other hand, no. Um, yeah, no. It's it's interesting, isn't it? Because it, you know we are getting to a point where you feel like Nadal's. You can see like Nadal's legacy on on a tennis court, and you know obviously Carlos Alcaraz is the most obvious example of that. But you know, I just joked about Iga Sviantek, but you know she's a massive Rafa fan as well, and I feel like I see a little. You know, in the way she plays and her little mannerisms, I see that, um, you know, kind of chiming through as well. But, um, yeah, I think for Alcaraz, it, it, it's, it's, it's obvious because they're, they're both kind of still playing at the moment. And, um, you know, I think some people will love to see those once, you know, Rafa does hang up his, his racket to kind of see those sort of live, live on. Um, but at the same time, I'm, I'm a bit like, why don't you have, yeah, why don't you get some of your own, Bad, like mannerisms i feel like um you know i feel like he should be you know it yeah you know, he's it's his own brand of tennis and you know he wants to obviously do what it feels comfortable and you know he's probably grown up watching rafa seeing him on the court and that's how he you know that's you know that's how he tends to play that's who he's kind of modeled his his style off but um yeah I, it doesn't bother me that much but yeah maybe he could incorporate some of his own some of his own ticks into his game yeah, I don't think, I mean, as a Rafa fan, I, it doesn't really bother me. I um, I do quite, I like the trophy bite being like Rafa's thing, but I'm not offended by anyone else biting trophies. And I think obviously it just goes to show how inspirational Rafa is. And like you said, I think um, these sorts of things have helped Rafa throughout his career, like his mannerisms and, you know, his little particularities. And I think, you know, Rafa's one of the most, 
like mentally strong players out there. We see Carlos Alcaraz being very mentally strong at such a young age and perhaps it's all tied up in what you're doing and how you're behaving on the court. And I think for me, the most important thing is that someone behaves with, you know, respect and dignity on the court. And, uh, you know, I, I think Alcaraz has, is showing that uh, up to what I've seen of him, you know, up to now. So um, when Kim, crucially, when, when are, when a knight going to give Alcaraz the Parata pants to wear for him to kind of pull down um, before he, he starts serving? That's, that's, that's the question I want to know because that is for me, the biggest legacy of, of Rafa's career. <laughs> well, I was wondering also <laughs> if, um, you know, how soon it would be before Alcaraz gets his own like branded, clothing you know like Rafa's got the the ball uh, logo and like Federer's have got the RF and all of that so I was um, wondering when Alcaraz would have his own symbol um, basically I have a friend who is a big Federer fan and also loves Rafa a lot and he has a tattoo of the RF logo and oh. he, also, he also has a Rafa ball tattoo and he messaged me during the final saying oh I might have to get an Alcaraz tattoo now but then, you know, what would an Alcaraz tattoo look like right now? That's well, what exactly. I'm wondering. It's you know. true. Yeah. So he'll yeah. have to get his own logo going on soon. So, um, yeah, any you work in uh, advertising, Joel. Perhaps you could put <laughs> together a campaign for him. Ooh. No, <laughs> let, let's just get the passing shot logo on his top. That's, I think that's the that's the number one priority. Oh, if only that would be the best uh, advertising right now for us, wouldn't it? But yeah, no, great question. Um, thank you for sending that in and do keep them coming because uh, we love to hear everyone's thoughts and uh, queries about what's going on in tennis. Um, and that brings us on to pretty much actually our only kind of main talking point for uh, the news segment, which is the fact that Kevin Anderson has retired from tennis. Uh, he announced that on Tuesday uh, last week. Uh, so he's he's gone. He played his final match in Miami. He lost to Serendolo, uh, Juan Manuel, I should say, um, in that tournament. And yeah, he's decided to hang his rackets up uh, with immediate effect and uh, and retire, which is, um, it's it's sad because I think he's a player that I think maximised his his career, you know, two slam finals, I think top five in singles he he reached and, uh, you know, and that was quite late on in his career, actually. So I think in, in all fairness to him, I think he um, he had a pretty good career, didn't he? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. Yeah, because I think you would kind of class him as a little bit of a, a late, late bloomer. You know, he, I think he was one of these players who in the locker room was, was universally, universally liked in the sense that, you know, he was on the, you know, the ATP player council. Um, you know, he stood up for his players. He's the current president as well. So I think he was very kind of firmly kind of appreciated in the locker room. And, um, you know, he was a player, I think that, you know, we'll obviously, I think remember him for, you know, his, his, obviously his big, big serves getting to two grand slam finals and i think we've got to remember in this era being a multi-slam finalist that is a very hard thing to do um you know us open finalist in 2017 wimbledon finalist in, in 2018 had that ridiculous match kim against john isner which i feel like a lot of people will want to forget but um you know i think he's a player who certainly i think everyone will naturally think of him as just one of these players who just you know, relied on his serve like a you know an Ivo Karlovic and you know that's that got him to where 
you know, that got him to where, you know, what he's achieved. But I think the reality is that he was a lot more than just a big server. He had a big lot of variety in his game, particularly, I think, from the, the back of the court. And yeah, he offered, I think, so much off the court as well. And um, I think it's it's a bit sad to kind of see him go. But at the same time, I think it's, I think it's the right time. You know, I saw, I actually saw him last year, you know, play Novak Djokovic at, at Wimbledon, um, on uh, on centre court, and uh, I think you know Djokovic won relatively easily, straight sets. And I was just thinking, Djokovic absolutely kind of dismantled his his serve. And um, you know, I was I was a bit kind of sad in the sense of like this guy, you know, this guy got to a Wimbledon final just a you know a few years before, and um, you know, perhaps the the writing's been on the wall for uh, you know a few you know a few months now, but. Um, yeah, the fact that I think you know he's he's obviously given us so many kind of memories, you know, it's been great for the fans, and uh, you know he's probably done a lot for for South African tennis as well. Yeah, I think his career really did peak in that 2017, 2018 mm. season. Yeah, you know, like two Slam finals in the space of like less than a year. I think my biggest memory, yeah, like that match with um, Isner, but then also just the fact that Anderson was destroyed for the final, and it, it really meant that mm. 2018 final was. Uh, quite a big disappointment to be quite honest um the fact that you know <laughs> we didn't have a 12 all tie break in the fifth set at that mm. time so they had just gone on and on and on and he was a bit shattered for the final so um but you know uh, he's been also um a long time member of the player council uh, as currently its president so i'm sure we might see him getting involved uh, in perhaps the uh, the governance side of things going forwards. And I think a lot of fans will also uh, miss seeing his wife, Kelsey, out and about on the tour as well, because she's always quite active on um, social media dog. as well. And their dog, of course, not forgetting the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, we wish him well. And, uh, you know, Gilles Simon as well is retiring, but at the end of the season. So you've got him for a, a little while longer yet, Joel, uh, Simon, anyway. <laughs> so um, let's move on to looking at Rome, which is uh underway as we speak uh Dominic team is playing at the moment against uh Fabio Fognini so I'm sure that's uh going down quite well with the Italian fans but team is uh well they're at the end of the second set at the moment as we're recording this so we'll see how that goes but um yeah what 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 have we got in in Rome we've got Novak we've got Rafa we've got Zverev everyone pretty much there except for Carlos Alcaraz so I mean what what are you predicting for Rome in, mm. on the men's side uh, this this coming week, Joel? Where are your thoughts at? I think you know, obviously with with Rafa and, and Novak in the top half, I think we're I think well set for a, a semi final there, particularly because the other kind of top seeds in that draw, Ogier Aliassime, um, he had a really ugly match. I'm not going to lie against uh, Zverev in Madrid and Casper Ruud, who. I've, for whatever reason it is, I don't really know. Um, has not really been um, at the races um, on in the clay season so far. So I think for Djokovic and the Dow fans, I think it's quite um, it's quite nice in the sense of um, you know in in the sense of that there's a clear run for them to get to the semi-finals. I mean, what's interesting, Kim, is that Nadal could face John Isner in the second round in his opening match, who is a player we were sort of talking about last week, given how close Isner came to defeating Nadal, um, you know, at the French Open a few, well, all those years ago. Don't remind me, Joel, that match was harrowing for Rafa fans. And every time I see Isner's name in the draw, <laughs> I'm like, oh, um, so yeah, not the ideal draw for Rafa. Um, 
I don't think it's the ideal draw for, for fans, to be quite honest, because Carlos Alcaraz, as a result of, of pulling out of the tournament, it's created quite a lopsided draw with the fact that, as I said, Djokovic, Nadal in that top half, Zverev, Sissipas, Rublev, all in that bottom half. For some reason, Kim, I'm sort of expecting Zverev to just play five out of ten tennis again, again and just go very deep in the tournament. Yeah, I know, because you've got, you know, Rafa and Novak in the top half, Zverev kind of on his own now at the bottom, mm. which is why, Joel, I'm predicting Cameron Norrie to make the semi-finals, Ooh, okay. Okay. which is perhaps a bit bold. But now that Alcaraz is out of the way, um, I, I, I don't know. I'm sort of, I'm seeing Norrie as being able to come through Zverev. You know, maybe Zverev will still be tired. I don't know. Um, so we'll we'll see about that. But I think Sitsipas is probably looking quite strong as well for uh, semis. Top half? Top half, I've gone for Rafa and Novak. Um, and, oh, sorry, Rafa fans. I've actually gone for, for Novak to um, to come through and win the tournament. Just because I, I don't think, you know, Rafa's only just come back. Uh, you know, he's had a couple of matches in you know in Madrid but I think I think it might be a a work in progress and hey I would rather Rafa lost to Novak here than in Roland Garros yeah so you know it was the reverse last year so maybe I'm doing a kind of reverse psychology if it ever gets to that you know we've said this many a time and players we have getting we, there, so no, i'm not going exactly. to think about it until it's actually confirmed yeah. <laughs> no i've i've gone djokovic nadal top half semi-final sissipas zverev bottom half semi-final i've got nadal sissipas in the final um and then i think nadal i think nadal will win um, I think these these are conditions will just very much suit him. I think the final will be that semi final with with Nadal and Djokovic. And, and again, I'm sort of expecting Zverev just to play five out of ten, six out of ten, all the way through to the semi finals. And I think Sissipas will will win. But um, yeah, I, I I think the winner will come from that that top half. Given yeah, it's I think it's a little bit little bit lopsided. Having said that. Uh, Zverev did beat Sitsipas in Madrid. Uh, that is which, true. So that perhaps we are uh, underestimating Zverev. Apologies. <laughs> um, as for the women, I think we've both probably gone for Iga Sviontek to win. Um, I, I've just, you know, it's very hard to look beyond her. Um, but I, I'm sort of looking also at uh, Pagula again, to be honest with you. I feel like she's got a good shout to maybe make another semi-final. Uh, and I'm also looking at Bedosa because she didn't have a very good week in Madrid. But I think that you know, she can't be down for too long. So I've got her to um, to come through in the bottom half as well as, do you know what? I think I might have gone for Alexandra. I've, I've, I've not gone for Jabor, weirdly, but I've gone for Alexandra. So I'm kind of going on recent Madrid form, even though we've just alluded to the fact that we shouldn't do that because Madrid plays very differently. <laughs> I don't really know what I'm predicting, but I'm just going to say Sviontek is going to win yeah. uh, at the end of the day and everyone else can just fight it out amongst yeah, themselves. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm probably in the same boat. I've got Sviontek versus Simona Halep semi-final in the top half Sakari Bedosa as well in the bottom half I've got a Sviontek Sakari final uh with Sviontek winning so um yeah I, I can't see I can't see it not being an eager Sviontek victory she's got previous form here as well so I think she's just going to be in the mood from the get-go so uh you know we'll we'll have to wait and see Kim Bianca Andrescu has got Emma Raducanu first up I'd be curious to know what Romanian tennis makes of that and who you'd support uh, in that matchup. But that's quite a testing opener. I felt like Andrescu had a pretty good showing in in Madrid. 
So I think that's quite a, a tricky one for, for Raducanu. Battle of the one hits, well, not one hit wonder, but one, <laughs> one US Open slam champions from the last few years yeah we need a better well we need a more we need a better name that wasn't very catchy wasn't it yeah this is why i don't work in advertising and you do (laughs) um (laughs) they won't be signing me up to design alcaraz's like marketing (laughs) campaign will they um yeah i i do wonder about that one i think i'm gonna go with emma actually on this I, i don't really know why but i think it could be emma in three um I'm in, I'm surprised you've gone for Zachary actually because uh, she hasn't been playing very well of late. But um, I I think obviously now is as good a time as any for her to get some form going into the into Roland Garros where she uh, made the semis last year. So good luck to her. I think she's in quite a nice section of the draw. Muguruza's the other kind of top seed in her quarter. So yeah, not not convinced, not really convinced there. And yeah, as you said, Jabour also in there. I don't know if yeah she'll suffer a bit um from all the ex exertions in uh in madrid but um yeah it'll be kind of interesting to see there is also kim no naomi osaka naomi osaka dropped out today which was a bit of a shame because she could have had a rematch uh against sara cerebes tormo in her opening round maybe she just didn't fancy it no i think it was more you know she she had she suffered an injury last week so it's not fully healed i think was the official reasoning so Osaka not there. I think Raducanu or Andrescu will breathe a little bit of a sigh of relief because um, whoever would have won that match uh, would have faced them in the second round. Yeah, and uh, Karolina Pliskova will be hoping she doesn't get blasted off the court uh, mm. without losing a game like she did in last year's final. <laughs> Very good. So, um, yeah, well, good luck to everyone playing in Rome. Uh, ooh, Dominic team is match point down. Um, that's going to be very quickly um, g- gone, I think. Um, uh, yeah, Fonini, I think, has uh, just won. So Dominic team still yet to record a win, I think, since coming back, uh, if I'm right in uh, thinking. So let's hope he gets one soon. Uh, but that will that does bring us to a close. We'll be back to round up all the action from Rome in our next episode. Yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed listening to this latest catch up with the passing shot. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the clay court season action on whatever device you listen to us on. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all good podcasting platforms out there. You can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can follow us on social media. We are on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Passing Shot Pod. So do give us a like and a follow if you don't already. Um, You can let us know all your feedback and comments on those social channels or do email us if you prefer. We are available on PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And don't forget to check out our website, www.thepassingshot.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Parsley Shot HQ for another tour catch up. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We will see you again soon. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.